Hi, and welcome to the Archimentor Summit 2021, where our goal is to inspire you and educate you and help you make your own mark in the architecture and design industry. My name is David Dressel. I'm the founder of Sketch Like an Architect, and I'm your host and organizer for this whole virtual summit. And today we'll be talking about something so, so, so much relevant. It's my pleasure to talk and sit down with Stephen Drew, who have worked previously in architecture industry, and he is the founder of Architecture Social. And even more importantly for our today's talk, he's also a head of talent at Ackroyd Lowry. So basically he's the best person to talk to about what employers do actually, what they are looking for, what they want, what hiring managers want, and how you can position yourself to get uh, the best out of the opportunity that you got. All right. So without further ado, please give a warm welcome to Stephen Drew. Hey, Stephen, it's so good to have you here. Thank you. So good to be here. And I'm thrilled we can talk about it in detail. But you are right. Um, for anyone that's not met me before, I I trained architecture. I worked in the architecture industry for a few years and I decided to go in recruitment, which is kind of unconventional. It's like, who studies all that time to go into sales? I know. Yeah. Trust me. I had them conversations with my parents at the time. Mom, dad, I'm going into sales. Like, what are you on about? Because don't do that. But um, lately, so I did recruitment for eight years. So I've worked with a lot of the famous companies, Heatherwicks, Zaha, Deeds, and as well as that, a lot of really good commercial companies, You typically in London, but sometimes in Germany and a few other countries as well. And uh, I've learned a few things over the years. More recently, you're right, I set up a website called The Architecture Social, and I am doing that as well as working a part-time as head of talent at Ackroyd Larry. So what does that role, what does that mean? Well, I made the, the job title up. So I made the job title up, but basically I work with Ackroyd Larry when I was in recruitment and I would help them find people. And so I do it part every week, two, three days a week. I go in, I go to the board meetings with Ackroyd Larry and I'm in charge of finding people and also retaining, keeping a hold of the current staff. So basically going out there when there's a job vacancy and finding the right person, but also managing the existing staff, making sure they're okay. And if there's anything there that needs to be talked about, basically having that sometimes difficult conversation just to make sure that everyone's happy. So what does that mean? I've seen a lot of CVs. I saw a lot of CVs before this role. I saw a lot of portfolios as well. And I get to invite people in for interviews. So during recruitment, it was helping people on their journey. And as now, in terms of Larry, it's about finding the people and inviting them in for the interview. And to the point of this conversation, I will be an open book, but I'm more than happy to share some of the secrets I've seen in terms of what really helps people get that interview, grabs my attention, and then how do they go for the interview and get the job? And there's a few patterns that I've noticed, David, that the successful people do. That yeah. is 
absolutely amazing teaser to what we're going to talk about in the next, let's say, 40, 45 minutes. Ooh. And you uh, you jumped in front of me with the description of what a head of talent actually is. I'm, I meant to ask you because <laughs> I guess most uh, most architecture studios don't have that position. Is, is that oh, correct? Or Yes, yes. I've seen one or two companies that did it. And then when I took the job, I named my job description. But basically, uh, you're right. Most companies do not. And I think that's a really good point to talk about because every company is different. So what you'll find is a company like Heavywork Studios, which is famous, they're probably going to get a lot of applications. So they probably have a system in place. And you might send your application to a specific email. You might write what you're looking for, the job description, why you are relevant. And that's fine. But what you'll find, perhaps, David, is a smaller architecture practice. They don't have that facility, partly because they don't need to. And, and they get applications through in emails. And that can be a totally different procedure as well. So it's very different applying from each company. And did you know that is only... 20% of jobs are advertised. So 80% of jobs, and that figure blows my mind, are not advertised at all. If you think about it, right, you know all these companies, and sometimes the job doesn't even get onto the website. It's not online. And what happens is people apply in the inbox, and they are the ones that get invited for an interview. Sometimes that's not the case, and you don't have people already applied, and then the architecture company has to go out there and find people. And that's usually usually when they brief a recruitment consultant, or maybe they ask their friends internally to look for people. So it's very different in each company. No, this is, this is a great point because, uh, and I'm going to kind of use my experience from um, being in that position, first graduate looking for a job yeah. in a foreign country in Denmark. And this is yeah. exactly what I've learned that very few, let's say you, you mentioned 20% of the actual like job posting goes live, right? Yeah. So what I've learned and I've been taught during that period of, of my training to look for a job and to get a job and to be kind of successful in this, in this application is that once a job gets posted online, it's kind of already too late because all the first circles, all the first discussions uh, spreading the word internally within the company, then, uh, you know, spreading the word one level further for acquaintances, recommendations, and, and these, if they don't work out somehow, then it gets posted online for kind of public public audience. Is, Correct. is, that, the, is that how it usually goes? Well, yes, I think you're right. Because think about it. Say now me and you run a company, okay? And we sit down on Monday and we decide that we need to hire someone, okay? The first thing that me and you are going to do probably is look at our existing inbox to see if there's anyone there that will do the job. Because why should we post um, a job if there are already people applying? Right? It's true. You want everyone uses their existing network of connections first before then advertising because that would save time. If just David, you said like, Steve, we need a graduate. I go, hang on, don't, don't worry. I've got loads in the inbox. And you're probably going to ring 
the ones that are there first. So that's the that's a very, very good point. And in terms of how to stand out in the crowd, well, the I think the secret answer is first to beat the crowd because a crowd, you're already splitting the odds and the chances of you getting hired. So the best thing to do is to send your application in first. And what that is typically called is a speculative application. And what does that mean? That just means that you were saying that you like the company and you're applying. And so quickly, the, for anyone listening, the top tips to do for that is if you are interested in, in, a, in a company, you should always address an email with a CV and portfolio to the director. You should personalize it. So if you said, dear David, I would love to work at Sketch like an architect. I've been following your work for a while and I am an architectural graduate who is currently available. I'm currently available in Sweden or London, wherever you are at these dates. Please see my CV and portfolio attached. And if that's come through to your inbox, that person has made it personalized and they've made it very easy for you to understand who they are, where they are, and it's gone right through to your inbox. So that is my top tip to personalize it and beat the crowd. So if you're always interested in a practice, you should do that. Because as you said earlier, and I don't know about you, David, but the easiest way for people to find jobs in the UK is everyone goes, mm, I'll, I'll go on Dezeen. You know, everyone goes to Dezeen jobs. But everyone knows that website, so you're right. And the amount of applications they get when you post on Dezeen jobs is a lot. And it doesn't always, as you said, once, once it's gone out there, the world is competing for it. So I think that's a good start and point for the combo. This is a great point. And I love that it's kind of, we can put it into uh, air quotes and real mm -hmm. quotes. If you want to stand out from the crowd, you got to beat the crowd. You, you play your own game, not the crowd's totally. game, right? So it, it's from what I've learned and what I've discussed and what I've seen discussion about application processes in, in architecture industry, it's a lot about quantity, like advices, like you got to send a hundred applications per week. Yeah. And you just got to keep at it, you know, push through and send basically the same info, same kind of application, same CV portfolio. Yeah. Generically to hundred companies, very often to those, you know, mm -hmm. uh, black holes, emails that never gets answered. And I think that's a very, very wrong approach. And I would love to hear your take. You talked about personalization being very kind of picky who you choose to send your application to, and then maybe do a little bit of research, make it personalized and make it very clear that you are interested, why you're interested and that you're available. Okay. Is that, is that an approach that you would, Uh, you would suggest? Sure. I share some of the sentiments. And then I also think, I, I think that it can vary. Okay. So when you're an architectural graduate, I first think that in your head, you should do two lists in my head. There's like, there's the list of like the ones that you know, and the ones that you uh, dreamed of working at, and you'll do a bespoke application there. But when you're a graduate, no one knows you, right? And I do think you have to just 
get out there. And you do have to send a lot of applications then to the next list. And the next list is people that you're not familiar with. And I think that last year during the pandemic, it made more sense to send more applications because you just had to, because there was not many jobs and therefore you had to use probability on your side. The trick is though, if you're going to send a lot of applications, you don't write the emails and the CVs and portfolios with cover letters, which say, dear sir, madam, because that is way unpersonalized. So I always say that on the second list of the companies you don't know, you have a quick look at one of the directors, you put in the name, you write one little line of personalized information, and then you can use that generic portfolio. That's my advice as a graduate, because probably you need to send a lot. What you find, though, David, is further in your career, the more and more you're in the industry, the less you have to do that because you start learning what you want and you and probably you have a job. OK, and when you're in that position is that you can find you can start applying to less and less and less. So that list will become highly targeted because you will want to go and you will want to write to the companies that you then admire. So say now you've been working in the industry for five to 10 years, you probably will apply to 10 companies you admire and they will be highly personalized. They will be highly modeled on the company's work. So, for example, if a company does a lot of commercial offices and that's what you're passionate about, you will design a portfolio which kind of is a little bit more commercial office, showcasing your design and technical skills in that area because that's going to resonate to them. So to answer your question, you're right. But in the start of your career, you have to cast the net wide. You have to be a bit less picky. And the further you're in the career, you want to tailor it because you're right. If you've been working in architecture for 20 years and you're writing emails to halfway around the world, halfway around Europe, halfway around London, that isn't very desirable. And that is my loose rule. So start of the career, a little bit more, you know, you've got your fan, the list you fancy, and then you cast a net wide, but further in your career, you tailor it. And the last bit I would say on that is that favor in your career, usually what happens is the opportunities come to you. So, for example, we are talking now through a mutual, you know, online friend, Sarah. Opportunities come because you know more and more people. And actually, Acura Larry, they were my client. And, and that job opportunity came up because we were working together. So when, when you're a bit older in your career, you hope you know if you start doing a good job then opportunities come to you people look to, to you so you're 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 not writing applications out anymore that's normally what happens that's a, that's a, another great point and that brings one other memory from my experience and that was in the period when i was still unemployed looking for the first proper job after graduation yeah. and we had a great talk with uh, CEO and architect of one of um, Copenhagen studios. Okay. Great one. And he was so kind to sit down with us, me and my girlfriend back then, uh, go through a portfolio and kind of, he didn't want us at that time. It was not a great fit or rather timing, but yeah. he was so kind that he spared like 10 minutes with us giving mm -hmm. advice he said he was impressed with the portfolio and he mentioned, and that's the follow-up on your 
on your point that, you know what, the first two years after graduation, they are the hardest. Correct. And once it's so much easier to get employed, maybe to, to switch jobs when you are applying from already position of an employee. Yeah. So being unemployed and making that switch from zero to one to get employed in the first few years after graduation, that's the toughest job. Correct. Correct. The other quick tip I'll mention as well, when you're a graduate, especially, try not to judge companies too much on their website. We all done it where you go, I want to work for the best. We want to do this and that. And sometimes what you find is actually it is during the interview you really learn about the company. So, for example, you might have an interview with a company which has a brilliant website and you can't wait. And I've had that before, not in architecture, but in recruitment. There was a company and they seemed super cool. And I went to the interview and I, was, I wasn't that impressed. I was thinking, oh, man, you know, my role here, I'm not too sure. And the people, they're nice people, but I don't know whether we would be the right fit. And then there was another um, company with a terrible website. And I was like, oh, man, I was like, this website sucks, right? It's going to, you know, this is not good because I come from a design background But it was actually, when I went to that interview, even though the website was still bad, very bad, but it was actually the role which was interesting and there was opportunity to grow. And I could have an impact on that. I could have an impact on the website and I could do this stuff. So sometimes, actually, the roles that you think maybe are not as good turn out to be interesting. So it's always worth going to the interview. And the other tip I have is that you should not, you should you should basically weigh up all the options. Don't make a decision till you have the option. People withdraw themselves from interviews. They go, oh, I don't want to do that one. It's, I'm not sure about that company. You should always go to the interview. And as well as that, at the very least, even if you don't like the company or it doesn't go well, the interview is practice. And remember, the CV and portfolio is The mechanism is like the vehicle. It's like how to get the interview. Uh, but when you're in the interview, it's good to have practice. And going to the interviews where you're not so sure of helps you uh, develop that skill, that skill of talking. So it's really important to go to every interview and be particular and picky when you have the offers in. That's the time to be picky about where you want to work oh yeah i can so much relate to going into the interview for the experience itself mm -hmm. like whether it works out or not i'm i go there try to do my best also mm -hmm. see if the other part is a good fit for me uh, <laughs> once i had yes. such a terrible interview where i was i was really looking for a job i, I don't want to say i was desperate but I was very frustrated with the long process, right? And I've heard, no, no, we don't need you. I've heard it a hundred times. And then I went for this interview and it was terrible. And, and the CEO, the, the, the business owner who interviewed me, he was basically complaining about his situation and his company and why his own employees are leaving him for bigger names. And mm -hmm. that's, And he positioned himself so badly on top of really just looking for some, some different fit that I, I was at that moment, or just he, he wanted me for one specific 
particular skill that yeah. was architecture visualization. And he already like put a lot of pressure during that interview on me to describe the role and also complain so much about it. So that was, uh, I, I was kind of desperate for a job, but I knew I didn't want to work there. So Correct. It, it's, um, people all also sometimes go, um, and ask me for, for advice and I'm trying to just distill a takeaway from this experience that it's got to be a dialogue, a fit for both sides, not only Correct. the the company looking for you and seeing a good match in the skills and, and training and experience and whatsoever, but also you as an applicant need to see the fit that, okay, this is, this is going to be a good environment for me. Absolutely. If you and and you learned a lot, and that informed your decision. And I bet you were so grateful that you went because then you know perhaps one or two of the other interviews you went to, you're like, oh my gosh, they were really nice. That really helps me with my decision process. And I do think that uh, the other tip I would ask add here as well on that vein is that it's really good if you can to try and go to the office. Now I know. We still are in the pandemic and it is helpful to go on Zoom interviews. But why it's handy to go meet people in person is because, as you said, David, you get to see the office. You get to see what the culture is like. And I think that when you're there in person, as you said, it's a two way thing. Think of it like buying a car. You lift up the bonnet, you look at the the engine, you really see what happens there. And I think that kind of tour around the office is really useful. I remember years ago in recruitment, I, 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 there was a famous architectural practice and I managed to get someone an interview there. And the interview was at seven o'clock and it finished at eight o'clock, which is very late. But there were still people in the office. And this person said, who got a job off, who was like, I'm not going to work there. And I was like, I really understand. I'd love to hear why. And it was because he saw that people were still in the office that it had informed his decision. And I think that makes complete sense because, you know, if you want to go to an architecture practice where you work in long hours, and that's your decision. And I respect that if you want to do it. But perhaps if you have a family, that's not going to work. You know, if you've got a kid and a husband or a wife, you probably don't want to be in the office all the time. So going there, seeing the office is a massive advantage and one of the best tips I currently say to everyone. Try and avoid the Zoom, offer the go in person. And it also looks impressive. I mean, because sometimes most people on Zoom, meeting in person really helps. And also what I've learned through interviewing people, the Zoom interviews can be good, but if someone comes in person, there's like this extra like realness that comes across and that can really help make the difference. So that is probably a very relevant tip at the moment. Try and go and meet them in person. It will look very good. Love that. Uh, 100% agree. It's just different energy. And you can also sense a lot of a lot of it from the other side. And we are still humans. We, we kind of seek that humanly connection um on a more general level mm -hmm. from your experience many years you know what the employers actually want what they are looking for in terms of skill can you talk about that what is it that how should i position myself let's say let's run a, a quick scenario here i'm i'm a fresh graduate again i'm looking for a job yeah um 
how should I think about presenting myself, positioning myself when it comes to my skills to potential employers? What is it that they actually want to see from me? Okay, good question. So first thing we have to do is think about what is a job in a company, right? Because we always forget that. And my definition working in an architecture practice is the job is an opening when we need someone for a certain skill set to help the business make money. So what do I mean by that? Okay, so you have in architecture projects come in, in the simplest forms, people need to work on them. And you'll typically have an associate, the director, whatever, and you have the architect team leaders. And below that, you have graduates, okay? And these people work on a team to get the project done, okay? To make a profit. We have to remember that. So when, when you're thinking that, if I'm a graduate, we have to think about what is the graduate's role in the company? Okay. And what are they going to find really interesting, really compelling? Okay. And typically in architecture, it's two or three things. Okay. There's the personality of you. Okay. Everyone wants to like who they're working with. Sure. But in the interview, you can be, you know, charming. You can, you can, you can do that part. You can be professional and you can be likable. But the other two bits is experience and skills, software skills, personal skills, all that stuff, technical drawing skills. Okay. It's the three things. It's your personality, it's your experience in the job and what you can offer in terms of raw skills. And that will typically is software. So if you're a graduate, you have less experience in industry. So we need to then, because you don't have that, and that's fine because everyone starts in that position. You really need to sell the skill, software skills you have. So for example, you might want to show your Revit drawings, your technical details, and a little bit of hand drawing, any 3D visualizations, because those are skills that a company can plug into their current system. Okay, so for example, if I'm running an architecture practice and we use ArchiCAD and a graduate applies with ArchiCAD, that's good because I'm looking for that, right? You know, and that's what you want. So that, you know, anyone with ArchiCAD at Acro Lowry, because at Acro Lowry, we use ArchiCAD, is immediately going to get a little bit of a bump up because I'm going, that's what we use. And so if someone's done it for a while, that's great. And maybe they come in the interview and go, I'm confident in ArchiCAD. I'm really happy showing the, uh, you know, the more senior architects, technicians, how to do things. You know, I'm really good at the visualizations. I'm really good at taking an ArchiCAD model and generating beautiful walkthroughs and visuals. That's going to be really desirable. So you always have to think about that. When you're further in your career, maybe you're not a graduate, maybe you're an architect or a technician, a technologist. Say now you're a technical architect, then it's going to be your technical details and experience, which is desirable. And then the software as well, but it's that experience. So for example, if you've done 10 years on residential projects and you've done all of the building stages, so in the UK, it's called the Reba stage is one to six, but basically if you've done design, you've done technical detail and uh, technical stages, if you've done construction and you've seen buildings on site, 
that's really desirable. And you always want to showcase to the employer your desirable skill set. So you always want to look at the jobs. You always want to talk about the things that they're looking for, because that's what companies need, right? If I'm running an architecture practice, maybe I need someone experienced who has done a residential because I've got a residential building. I would probably ideally like someone with residential who's done design, construction, and I would be great if they've got Archicad, okay? But maybe further in their career, they don't have Archicad. I go, oh, okay, I can train them up, but they've got residential and they've got the technical, so that's good. But at the start of your career, you haven't got the residential experience yet. Maybe you've done a little bit and that's good, but you're going to have to amplify the Archicad. So to answer the question, always think about what the employer is looking for. Always think of them like a business and think about how you can make a return on their investment. If they spend time and energy on you, what can you offer the company? Eagerness to learn, eagerness to share your skill set, eagerness to work hard. That's always going to be desirable. But that's kind of how I look at it. And I think a lot of the time people can, and I've done it before, you naturally forget what a job is. But that's what a job is. It's when a company needs experience or skills to help projects which are currently in turn a profit. Or when you're favoring your career, you're going to help the company win projects. Yeah. I, can, I can second that so much. This has been incredible. Uh, so many things to take away. I would paraphrase it with, again, my experience. And yeah. I'm, you know, funny enough, I'm an Archicad user. And I'm a big it's fan of software. Archicad. Yeah. And throughout my whole studies, those six years, I've been working in Archicad. And what I did when I was looking for a job is was to actually select the fewer companies in Copenhagen, Denmark, that mm -hmm. work in Archicad. And that's a minority, right? Most of the companies work, when working in BIM, they work with Revit. So I kind of niche down and pick uh, five to 10, which worked in Archicad and already kind of presented a position myself as an experienced Archicad user. Correct. And they knew because most of the market is kind of focused on the Revit that there are not that many people who would have high software skills in yeah. Archicad. So yeah. there can be one thing how to twist it, um, how to twist and adjust your application in terms of CV and, and portfolio and position yourself to be more, as you said, desirable. Uh, another great point is about the types of projects, typologies and scale. Right. Yeah. So there are different companies and they very often focus on specific typology. Maybe it's uh, residential, maybe it's mixed use, maybe it's a bit of commercial. Yeah. They have a profile and they also in a mixture have a certain scale that they work mostly. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's small scale family houses, uh, high end residential villas, something like that, or it is a bigger scale more like apartment buildings, urban urban housing blocks, kind of bigger bigger scale that they work with. And that's another great point to show if they work in a bigger scale and manage big, big projects, it's a really nice uh, point to actually show in your portfolio that you have 
and experience with that type of project that they are usually making. Mm. So I think that there's the, there's the fit that you uh, talked about. What are the skills? How can I distill from their projects, from their website, what they do? How can I distill it in skills that I may have and it might be a good fit for them? Exactly. I think that's um, so, so important. And I think that the other, and we, we can talk now a bit if you want about CV and portfolios, but always be literal with the skills. It's much more powerful saying that I have worked three years in Archicad, one year in industry, two years in academia, than just saying um, I use BIM. Okay. It's it's always good to quantify these things. And I always, um, I find it interesting sometimes when you look at people's personal statements in the emails and sometimes cover letters at the start of the CVs where they would say, I've studied architecture and I'm a super hardworking person and I'm really passionate about sustainability. And, you know, I have spent the last two years on my dissertation looking at the, I don't know, capitalistic views or whatever. And that's nice, but that's not useful. Okay. What is useful is saying, um, hi, my name's Stephen Drew. I am an architectural assistant with two years experience in industry, and I have a degree and a diploma with a 2-1 in architecture from Westminster and Manchester. I am a microstation user. I've done it for the last three years, and I've started learning Revit for the last six months. I am currently looking for a job in the London area. I have one week's notice, and I am available to interview immediately. Okay. Do you see the massive difference there? One was like, oh, the the meaning, the life. And one was more like, this is who I am. This is how, if you put me in your business, I can help you because I've got two years experience in industry and I know my crustacean and I'm available immediately and you can ring me at this number. And it's much more about what people are looking for because they can they can then understand who you are, where you are, what you are, and when they can interview you. And those are the key things. So you always have to bring it back to the job. How can you convey all that information to the employer? So then that is one of the most important things in the CV and portfolio is getting that information across and not waffling about your thoughts and feelings. Because you can do that in person when you're there, but they're going to hire you based on fact. So people um, buy, and we all do it, we buy with emotion based by fact. Yeah? And, awesome. And yeah, it's important. A few, few really quick, like, rapid-fire questions come to my mind, and that is, sure. are you the person who reviews CVs? Yes. Okay. A photo or no photo? Risky. <laughs> if in doubt, no photo. Okay. Um, you know why? And I'll tell you, um, we'll yeah. keep, because sometimes people, we all do, we have unconscious biases. Sure. Okay. And with a picture, it can look great, but sometimes people can read something else in them, you know? So it's risky. All right. That's good to note. Um, how long do you actually spend reviewing a CV? Me? And I'm asking like, are, yeah. do, do you skim through in skim. 30 seconds? 20. <laughs> 20. That's all I got. 
And um, I look for key things. Now, someone might spend two or three minutes on that. But I don't think that uh, if you think that most businesses are busy, it's 20 seconds. Now, I'm trained over the years that I know what I've looked for. But also, I have a very short attention span. But what I will say, it's like a website, okay? I will look for 20 seconds. And if I don't feel something, it goes over there. But if I feel something, I stay longer. I then read it for five minutes. I'm going through it. I'm excited. And I spend a long time. And we all do that. And if you think you don't, you're wrong. Because what happens when you go to a website? If a website is rubbish, the f- you've got 10 seconds, a person goes, don't know where I'm going. It looks a bit shit. And you go. And we do that with CVs. So realistically, you've got 10 to 20 seconds to impress. That's a, that's a super important note. So you want to be really practical with the information you're providing in the CV. Yeah. You want them to see the right kind of information. And on that note, format of the CV. And I know you're based in the UK. Yeah. Um, I have some very different experience from Denmark compared to the Czech Republic, where I'm based now. Yeah. How many pages for a fresh graduate for, uh, you know, let's say up to senior architect, does it differ or should it be always one pager or what's the practice in the UK and what's your general practice? Uh, Good question. So loose rule of thumb. Now I always say loose because I get messages constantly after they're saying, you said one, but I've done two. Don't worry about that. So generally CVs, one to two pages normally. If you've done architecture for a long time, maybe three pages, but aim for one to two. I think two is a good number. That's the CV. Portfolios, when you're sending an application in an email, you know, it can be anywhere between five to 15 sheets. You don't want to go over 15. Remember, when you're sending a portfolio on an email, it's like sending the best hits. You don't want to send, you know, like the Beatles. I love the Beatles. I love loads of songs. But you don't send everyone every album. It's like, oh, my gosh, I don't know where to look. You pick the best hits. So in an email, two sheets in the CV, and then in the portfolio, five to 15 sheets, you know, and you always put your most recent work at the front. I I find that I'm always amazed when you get a portfolio and people talk about the, the project they did in their first year studying architecture, which is probably going to be the weakest because you're just learning it. You go in with your strongest work and you always put industry experience before academia because that's what I would hire someone on if they've already worked in an architecture practice. I want to see that work. Then the academia work. You don't put the academia work at the front as well. Wow. That's some pointers everyone should take note on. <laughs> um, we've talked about a lot of the things that we as applicants and, and graduates and architects looking for new job, new opportunities can really control. What about some of the aspects of the hiring process and application process that we cannot really control? And I mean, things like the right timing for the company. Maybe the company has fewer projects at the moment or seasonality of the year, which again is something I learned from my own experience that 
usually before Christmas, in November, in December, everybody's so busy finalizing all the work before the end of the year. So they don't really have time to look at maybe unsolicited or, as you said, uh, speculative applications. Yeah. So can you can you talk about these kind of things which are a bit more abstract, a bit more fluid, like what is the right timing? What's to keep in mind? What is the right season during the year, if any? Do, do you have any points on that? Yeah, sure. So uh, sometimes I hear people go, oh, I want it. So say now it's today. What day is it today? It's like it was Tuesday. Let's pretend it was Friday or Thursday. People go like, oh, I won't send my application today. I'll send it Monday morning. Okay. Don't do that. Just as soon as you have the CV ready to go, send it. Okay. Just send it because um, sometimes by waiting, you there's no point. And I think that you hit the nail on the head. There's something's out of your control. Okay. So you have to plan around that, but keep on going. Okay. It's probably not the best time to look for a job two weeks before Christmas because everyone's gone. So start looking in November or start looking in January. As you said, you can't control that. You can't control how people are. You can't control whether or not someone really looks at your application. But what you can control is stuff like where you send the email to and calling up the company. Most people, I bet here, have never called up a company after you send the application. So, and, you know, you you can. So I think that once you send an application, you can call them up a few days after. You just say, hey, um, it's Stephen Drew here. I sent an application last week. There's no rush i'm calling to check you got the application and they can go oh yeah we've got it and you go great if there's an update i'd love to hear it i can wait for you so always chasing up on things is good but uh make sure that you send it the email to the uh, to the person that's going to be most useful so for example if you send an email to info at acrolarry.com they they get loads of spam But if you send it to me and you address it to me, you're more likely to get an answer. And so that that is within your control. So don't worry about timing too much. Um, perhaps avoid stuff like December, like before Christmas, but send the applications to the right person and do not be afraid to follow up. As long as you are nice and professional and you're not pushy, it's okay. Um, the other things to make sure is just make sure that, you know, the CV and portfolio, we can give a few more tips on it, but it's make sure it's eligible, eligible, make sure that your mobile phone number's on there. I know one person that sent the application everywhere and I couldn't ring them. Like, oh my gosh, how do I get a hold of this person? I've got this like amazing CV and there's no email, there's no mobile phone number. You know, I, I most kind important of made, thing. Yeah. It's a crazy. Exactly. So I made a connection on LinkedIn, but you know, after, you know, six hours, I've kind of forgotten because I've gone on to other people. So it's really, really important. And that's the things you can control. You can control putting the correct contact details on your receiving portfolio. You can control who you contact and you can control when, and you, if in doubt, do it now, don't put it off. You know, that's my number one tip. So awesome. hope Hopefully that is gives a bit of an insight. Yeah, no, it's it's very 
motivational. Go, go get things, you know, go get them. Um, one more, one more thing that it reminds me, and that's, that's a great point from you is to follow up. The follow up might be really a bit a stretch for you outside of the comfort zone. Right. Yes. But what I've been also recommended, and I think it works wonders Uh, you mentioned to follow up with phone call a few days after you send the application. Uh, mm-hmm. I was even recommended to send the application and maybe wait half an hour, an hour yeah, and call do. them to follow up. Okay. Did it go into spam? I just want to make sure you yeah, good idea. It all right. And if I, on top of that, if I have any more questions about the, let's say job posting, I can ask already on the phone, which makes me a little bit more memorable. I get a bit more personal with that Correct. person on the other side, right? So these follow-ups are so important. And I would love to hear, my, my thought is in the very end of the email, we very often say something like, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. But wouldn't be much, so much better to say, I will follow up on this application in two weeks on October 25th on, on Friday. I'm just making this up, but something that is more specific, more actionable, more proactive that I can actually control and follow up on that day. Isn't yeah. that a better practice? Yeah, that is much better. Um, and you're right. So, and this even goes into recruitment. So recruitment is a bit like this because I'm constantly ringing people who have never heard of me and I'm trying to offer them a service and you get some people going like, who are you? And then uh, you can get very nervous about it. And what I've learned is that you are your own worst enemy because you know, when you grow up, your, your mother and father, or typically your mother, right. will train you and go like, You shouldn't interrupt people when they're working. That's very rude. So you naturally think it's rude. You're like, I'm being really rude. But you have to get rid of that because you're not being rude. And there's a difference in asking a question uh, because as well as that, you're actually, by telling them that you're looking, maybe you're doing them a favor. Maybe they want to hire someone like you and you're actually helping them out. So you have to get past that nervousness in your head. And so actually you saying, I'm going to follow up in a few days is quite nice. Or the real uh, other one, which is so I'm taking your idea and going up another level, is that you could write this CV and application and I could address it to you, David, and go, hi, I'm Stephen Drew. I have a part two architectural assistant available in London. Da, 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 da. Um, instead of saying, I look forward to hearing from you and then just full stop, you could say something like, um, I'm available to interview in London at the moment are you free to meet in person this week question mark now that is that's pretty ballsy but also it's not rude really is it you're saying to them a question mark and what happens to people when you ask them a question they have again their mother in their head going David, that, you know, that person asked a question you can't be rude you need to answer so you can actually use the trick in your advantage. And I think it's really, really important. So I found that by asking questions, it works, but the trick is the other trick as well is not to waffle. Okay. So if you write lots of things in the email, Oh, that's too exhausting. I haven't got time for this. So what do, what do people do? They ignore you because they're like, ah, I can't deal with that. But if you write one or two sentences to the point, 
sincere, not too pushy, but also saying who you are, asking a question, you're much more likely to get an answer. And what you'll find sometimes they'll say, thank you for the thing, no role right now, but keep in touch. And that's great because you got an update and updates are important. And actually knows when you hear a no from a company, it's not the end of the world. And actually it's better because you go, great, now I know I spend my time on these companies. So rejection is part of the process. But to answer your question at the start, you're right. Answering a question in the email is really, really powerful because 99% of people do not do it. Yeah, that, that's that's a nice level up from, yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you and I will follow up and are you free this or next week? Yeah, this can I come in to show you my up. portfolio in person? I'm free next Wednesday. Oh no, but maybe you'd start with, I am free Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week. Is there a time I can come in to show you my portfolio in person question mark that's powerful that's a question if the per- if you don't if the person doesn't answer that they're going to feel very rude so that's powerful yeah and that that, that shows the proactive approach right that's yeah. very proactive is the right word for it yes. all right before we wrap things up any final quick tips on cv and portfolio that we haven't mentioned yet Mm. Um, basic, basic stuff. Get the basics right. Make sure the contact details there we did cover. Make sure that you have a font which is easy to read. Make sure, test that the PDF works. Uh, other tips, load it up on your phone, load it up on your laptop, see what it looks like. Other crazy thing to check, but is worth doing, is if it prints well, if it prints okay on grayscale, if it prints okay on color, because you always want to think about the scenarios which are out of your control. You know, maybe it's printed by a receptionist who doesn't care about architecture, printing it out, and you need to make sure that the font works. You need to make sure that the file size is not too big, but not too small. You don't want the pixels, you don't want the images all pixelated, but at the same time, you don't want to be that guy or lady that shoves in these big drawings which have this clunky file, you know? And the other thing is, don't put, use we transfer links, don't send Dropboxes because I am not going to open them. You, you, unfortunately or fortunately, PDF is kind of the, um, the industry standard on these on these things as well. Uh, last fair other thing is make sure, and everyone forgets about this, they spend all the time in the email, all the time in the CV portfolio, but what is the title of the email? And it should be, I think, your name, but then you say clearly what you are. So you say part to architectural assistant or architectural graduate, look, currently available looking for employment or currently available, something like that, but to the point, yeah? And as well, I guess last thing, always make sure that the CV and portfolio PDFs are labeled correctly. No one wants to see um, David's final CV 2021. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, and make sure you put your, your, your full name in there because then the company knows what your file is. And I think that's really important. So, so you would do Stephen Drew um, CV.pdf, Stephen Drew portfolio.pdf. Make it easy. Make, and there's a last thing for it in the application process, the, the, the more you can make it easy for the person to find the information they're looking for, 
the higher the chances are that they invite you for an interview. When it becomes difficult, then the chances are less. And just because you find it easy doesn't mean another person will. So it's always good to test in other people because you will be surprised on what happens. People go, oh, it doesn't work on my iPhone. Okay, that's a problem, you know, uh, because maybe the employer is looking at your CV in a taxi on their iPhone. But doing that, preparing all these eventualities works. And last, last, last thing, try to have a bit of fun with it because, yes, it's stressful, but it is a skill. And the more you do it, the better you get. And it is a life skill and it is important and it is worth learning. So um, it's going to be difficult, but like everything in life, the more you practice these things, the better you get. Love that. So many golden nuggets to take away from this. As one of the uh, very last things I want to ask you is mm -hmm. uh, if you could tell us a little bit more about your, how to call it, passion project, your your new platform, sure. something where you scratched your itch, you solved a problem that uh, really appeared very, very obvious, especially during the pandemic. And that is your platform, let's say networking platform, architecture, sure. social. Can you sure. tell us more? Sure. So the architecture social. So if you liked anything we talked about today, you can check out the architecture social.com. So I, I, my goal is to make this really useful place or this platform for job seekers and employers. So right now there's a forum and you, people can talk on there. And that was really interesting. That was really popular during the pandemic. But what I've been working on as well is a directory where people like job seekers can look for companies. And I think that's really, really a useful tool. And that's completely for free on the architecturesocial.com. But I think what's going to be really interesting for everyone here is that I've been working on the resources section. So today we had a bit of an overview. But if people wanted to dive deep in CVs, I've done hours hours of CV content for CVs. It's all for free. We've got the YouTube channel. We've got the Spotify podcast for the architecture social, but there's something for everyone. So if you are a professional in the architecture industry, just go to the architecturesocial.com, have a look in the resources section to start with, maybe sign up to the forum and you can browse the directory. But hopefully that will be a useful resource. And my goal is to make it the most useful platform for job seekers in architecture. So that's www.architecturesocial.com. Go have a look and you can contact me there. Drop me a note as well. Awesome. I can only recommend it. I'm there. Steven is there. I have a lot of online friends, so to speak, who are there as well. It's a buzzing yeah community and networking place and so much more so once again architecturesocial.com as always you can find the links under or next to this video below and one last very last uh, question kind of usual yeah. question for our speakers what is the best way how to reach you online where can we find you online what is the best medium for you to get in touch with you sure so I mean, if you reach out in the architecture social community, that's a, got a very good chance of catching me because that's my community, right? So I should I should be active there. And you can reach out to me on, on LinkedIn and you can drop me a message as well. Uh, you know, I am on Instagram and this stuff, but what I would say is there's lots of platforms out there. Send me a message. And in the true form of what we talked about today, 
If I don't reply straight away, it's probably because I'm busy, but use some of the techniques that we talked about here and just drop me a note, drop me a question. And I think you're practicing that skill set in life. And uh, I, I usually will reply. And if someone is tenacious enough to drop a nice message again, you're probably going to grab my attention. So drop me a note. And if I don't reply, follow up on it. Practice that technique. Awesome. Cool. As always, I always encourage you to do reach out also to leave your main takeaway. Number one takeaway from this conversation. We've covered so many points about hiring CVs, portfolios, writing emails that catches and grabs attention and so much more. So uh, let us know what your current situation is, if it's actually relevant for you right now and what's your key takeaway and maybe what are your next steps that you're going to execute in order to get a first or second or third or just another job so let us know in the chat below under this video also in our private facebook group which is basically a virtual gathering of all the attendees and the speakers of this conference And we'll be looking forward to <laughs> hearing from you. Uh, that's something I didn't mean. I, I, I didn't mean to say, but uh, that's how it goes. So one last time, Stephen, this has been such a blast. Thank you so My much pleasure. for your time and for all the insights you've shared with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here. And uh, hey, we'll just see where the journey goes. And look forward to hearing from anyone else and find them in the architecture social as well. Awesome. Let's just hang out all, all in there. So thanks for now. Thanks for watching. And I'll see you in another webinar. Take care. Bye. Bye, everyone.